chapter 8 of Revelation. We have been studying, of course, the opening of the six seals, and uh, six of the seven seals. We've gone through that many of them, six of the seven seals, and now we come to chapter 8, and we'll just go ahead and jump right on into verse 1, Revelation chapter 8, verse 1. And when he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. Now, as I read this, let's keep in mind here that a majority of what we're seeing here in the book of Revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ, is presented to us as a result of the Apostle John being in the Spirit and taken into a vision. Remember, John is physically on the island of Patmos when he received this vision, this revelation. He was, of course, exiled there as a result of his faith in Jesus Christ. John is not physically in heaven as we're studying what we're reading here. He's not physically there. He's still physically on the earth, and he's seeing all that he is seeing in a vision, and it's the revelation that Jesus Christ is revealing to him, okay? So he's physically still on the earth, and he's receiving all of this information. So why do I point that out? Well, when John uses this terminology here and a half an hour, we don't have to get into a debate as to whether there's time in heaven or not, okay? And many people do. Many people do get into a debate and they say, oh, he says there's a half an hour and he's explaining heaven to us here. So there must be time in heaven. But again, I look at this and I see this vision as John, John being an earthly vessel, being a man on the earth, the Lord Jesus coming to him and giving him this revelation, the Lord telling him to write it all down. John, of course, is led by the Holy Spirit. But again, he's physically on the earth and he's using some terminology here that you know is familiar to us all. We understand what a half an hour is. So the point here, though, is not really the time, but the point here to me is that there was silence in heaven. Now, the amazing thing about that is that as we have seen thus far in Revelation, there's all kind of praise and worship going on in heaven. So there's really not been silence there as what we've studied thus far. We've not really seen silence. We've seen all kind of praise and worship going on there in heaven, right? But now at the opening of the, the seventh seal by the Lord Jesus Christ, there's silence. A hush has come over the crowd, if you will. Everything's gone silent here in, in heaven when this seventh seal was opened. And all attention is now focused on what takes place at the opening of this seal. And in verse 2, John says, And I saw the seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Okay, so this is what John's seeing at the opening of this seventh seal. It becomes quiet. Everyone's kind of standing in awe, if you will, of what's about to happen. And he says, And I saw seven angels, these seven angels, which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Now, 
We know that these seven, we know what these seven angels are representative of, don't we? Because we studied it already. If you turn back to Revelation chapter 1, I'll show you. Go ahead and flip back to Revelation chapter 1. So again, John says in verse 2 of chapter 8, And I saw these seven angels which stood before God. And to them was given seven trumpets. Then in Revelation chapter 1, verse 16, I want to start reading in verse 16. It says, And he had in his hand, in his right hand, seven stars. Okay, now jump down to verse 20. The mystery of the seven stars, in other words, what does that seven stars represent? The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. So as we flip back to Revelation chapter 8, in verse 2, we have those seven angels that represent the seven churches, right? They are standing before God. And to them were given seven trumpets okay so we've got the picture here then verse three and another angel came and stood at the altar having a golden censer and there was given unto him much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne Okay, so very simple here. There is an altar made of gold before the throne in heaven. The seven angels are there with their trumpets and another angel appears and he walks up to the altar with incense that he is carrying in a censer made of gold. What is a censer? A censer is a vessel, any type of vessel in which you would put incense into right? It could be a pot, it could be a bowl of some sort, just about anything that you could use to burn incense. And this angel brings these incense, this incense to the golden altar where he is going to offer up the prayers of the saints before the throne of God. Now, mark this page and turn back a couple of pages to Revelation chapter 5. Okay, we studied this a few weeks back, Revelation chapter 5. And let's look at verse 6. And it says, And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, so in the middle of the throne area and in the middle of the four beasts, right? And in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And he came and he took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Now, verse eight is what I want you to see here. It says, and when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. Now, do you see the word vials there in verse eight? That's the Greek word phiatle, okay? 
okay, fiale, and it's a word that means bowl, okay? So the prayers of the saints are contained as odors in golden bowls. And again, back in chapter eight, this one angel, right? As we flip back to chapter eight, this one angel comes up to the altar and he has the prayers of the saints in these golden bowls. And the smoke of this incense will go up before God who sits on the throne. Look at verse four. I'm back in chapter eight, verse four. And the smoke of the incense, which came with the prayers of the saints, ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. So this is very easy to picture here. This one angel is holding these vials slash bowls and the bowls have incense in them. The smoke of the incense is rising up before God and this represents the prayers of the saints, okay? Now, I wanna make a, a very strong point with you all here this morning. I want you to turn to Genesis chapter eight. First book of your Bible, of course, Genesis chapter eight. Genesis chapter 8, and we're going to look at verse 13. It says, And it came to pass in the six hundredth and first year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried up from the earth. And Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. And in the second month, on the seventh and twentieth day of the month, was the earth dried. And God spake unto Noah, saying, Go forth of the ark, thou and thy wife and thy sons and thy sons' wives with thee. Bring forth every, or bring forth with thee every living thing that is with thee of all flesh, both of fowl and of cattle and of every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth, that they may breed abundantly in the earth and be fruitful and multiply upon the earth. And Noah went forth and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, every fowl and what whatsoever creepeth upon the earth after their kinds went forth out of the ark. And Noah built it an altar unto the Lord and took every clean beast and of every clean fowl and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a sweet savior, savor. And the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake. For the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth Neither will I again smite any more every living thing as I have done. So once Noah was up upon dry land here again, what is the first thing that Noah did once he got back upon dry land again? He worshiped God. And how did he worship God? 
Well, he built an altar and he offered up burnt offerings to God. Okay, And God smelled this offering as it was to him a sweet savor. So today, right, when we worship God, it goes up before him as something very pleasant to him when we worship God. Even when we gather like this, this is worship. What we're doing right now is worshiping God. We are going before the throne of God by going into his word. But we also, of course, worship in song, right? And we lift our voice in praise of God, right? But also prayer is also a form of worship, isn't it? And when we pray, this is pleasing to God. First Timothy uh, chapter two, verses one through three tells us that prayers, intercession, and, and giving of thanks should be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and a peaceable life in all godliness and honesty, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. So prayer is good and it's acceptable before God our Savior, and our prayers go up before him. But this is the point that I want to make here. Worship should be your first priority, as it was Noah's first priority, right? As soon as he was back on dry ground again, the first thing he did was, we're restarting everything here on earth. It was just him and his family. Everything else has been wiped out, and we're beginning today. And when we begin today, we're going to begin today by worshiping God. And again, I'm pointing out that prayer is a form of worship, just like studying the word of God, just like singing songs of praise. But prayer is a form of worship. And God, the creator of all, he is remembering our prayers. They are, they are being stored up in a sense, right? They're not literally, I don't think, being stored up in bowls. Maybe they are, okay? But this book is describing to us all, again, something very symbolic, something for us to learn from. And that is, is that our prayers matter. And that is that our prayers are going up before him, right? And as we look back at Revelation chapter eight, this is where we see, this is where we see that our prayers do matter. Our prayers carry a lot of weight in this world. But one day, the praying is going to be done away with, right? God will no longer need to hear the prayers of the saints or to smell that sweet aroma because the saints are now with him forever in heaven. And as we saw in chapter seven, we will be before the throne of God and we will serve him day and night in his temple and he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among us, it says. We shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. For the lamb which is in the middle of the throne, it says, shall feed us. He shall lead us unto fountains of living water. And God shall wipe away our tears forever. Okay? So our prayers won't be necessary at that time, will they? Why? Because we'll be with the lamb. We'll be with Jesus. Okay, And notice what the angel does here next in Revelation 8, 5. It says, And the angel took the censer and filled it with fire of the altar, and he cast it into the earth. 
and there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and earthquakes. So what is this? What's taking place here? Well, this is an end to the prayers of the saints. They went up before the throne of God as incense, and from that point on, there will be no more praying for people of the earth. No more praying for the governments of the earth and such, because judgment time has now come. Judgment time has now come, and the earth will be judged, and all the people of the earth will be judged, and the leaders of the earth, and the governments, and the nations will be judged. Where's the church? The church is out of here. The church is already gone at this point in time. We're in heaven. The body of Christ is with the Lord. But judgment has now come upon the earth. And this is a time of all. The seventh seal is opened. And now there's silence because this is it. Okay? Right? Because the earth, the governments of the earth, the nations of the earth have thumbed their nose at God long enough. And even today, we see governments of this earth becoming increasingly wicked, right? Passing laws that are contrary to the word of God and saying we're not a Christian nation. We weren't founded on the word of God. And they're passing laws contrary to the word of God. And they're calling the religions of evil good. And they're calling Christianity evil, the religion of the Bible. Okay? And laws are being passed today that fly in the face of the word of God. And for many, many years now, until this day it continues, but grace is being offered and grace has been offered. The opportunity to repent is still offered to the world. But that day in the future is still to come when the church Again, the born-again believers are off of the earth and in heaven, and the trumpets are beginning to sound, and judgment is coming. And the praying people that have kept peace on this earth here for a long time, they're no longer here. And verse 6 says, And the seven angels which had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. Okay, now I want to pause right there because here we are going to begin to discuss the seven trumpets. We've already looked at the seals, right? This is the seventh seal that's been opened, right? Keep in mind, again, I keep reminding you of this, a lot of symbolism in what we're, we're studying. It's just painting a picture for, for us here of the events of the end times, right? Right? In other words, why do I say it's symbolic? Well, is Jesus really literally a lamb? No, he's not. He doesn't have horns either, like we've seen here, right? And our prayers become, don't become tangible and get stored up in literal bowls. Again, we're just talking about things symbolically here. But when we studied about the seven seals on this scroll in which Jesus alone was the only one found in heaven worthy to open, right? In a sense, I look at those seven seals as kind of an outline for um, what all that will take place on the earth in the future, right? Remember, we, we talked about as we opened those seals, as we studied the opening of those seals, a false Messiah comes upon the earth. A time of famine comes where there's not much food at all to go around. 
People start to kill one another. Death and grave begin, the death and the grave begin to conquer many people. We saw where about 25% of the earth's population will be killed during this time. People will be dying of starvation and others will be eaten by wild animals, we even saw. And we saw where the 144,000 Jews were, were sealed by God on their foreheads before all of this destruction started. Remember, an angel appeared and said, hold on a minute, don't let any of this begin. We've got something to do. We've gotta go seal these 144,000 Jews on their forehead, okay? Before all of this destruction begins upon the earth. And the seventh seal that we're studying right now it contains these seven trumpets. Verse seven, the first angel sounded and there followed hail and fire mingled with blood and they were cast upon the earth and the third part of trees was burnt up and all green grass was burnt up. Now here we get in a sense to me a little less symbolic in the fact that it is describing that Trees and grass on the earth are going to be burnt up. This is literal, right? But what exactly the hail and the fire mingled with blood represent, it's not really known, okay? But it's just clear here that the grass and the trees will be destroyed. Now, since we know that there will be famine on the earth, right, like never before, this could come as a result of this destruction that we're now seeing here in verse seven. No more grass, right? So therefore, no more cattle to graze, no place for the cattle to graze in this portion of the land. So therefore, no more beef for us to eat or those people that are here to eat, okay? But one, one day, this part of, you know, in the future, this destruction will come to the grass and the trees. No more fruit trees and such, right? Now, again, we could expound on this and say that, well, there will be no more plant life at all, but that's not really said here. So we'll just kind of stick to the content, right? But indeed, uh, all the fruit trees and such Will, uh, a lot of them will be burned up. And the second angel, verse eight says, and the second angel sounded, and as it were a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea and a third part of the sea became blood. Now notice the, the words as it were. It says as it were there in verse eight. I think the King James uses the word like there. This is not saying that a mountain is on fire and is cast into the sea, but it seems to be describing a fireball as big as a mountain that has been cast into the sea. Now this fireball has some amazing and strange power to it because it's not quenched by the waters of the sea, but rather it turns a third of the sea into blood. Now, where's this blood coming from? Is it just a phenomenon that, that turns the water red or is it actual blood? Well, I lean toward it being actual blood, the blood of all the creatures in that one third part of the sea that will be destroyed by this fireball. 
Why do I lean that way? Well, because verse nine says, in the third part of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died. And the third part of the ships were destroyed. So there's human life lost as well, right? Because I think that, I think that these ships are gonna be manned ships. They're not gonna be unmanned ships. Well, I suppose if it hits parts of the waters where ships are docked, I guess there can be some unmanned ships there affected. But let's read on, verse 10. And the third angel sounded, and there fell a great star from heaven, burning as it were a lamp. And it fell upon the third part of the rivers and upon the fountains of waters. Now, the very simplistic interpretation of this falling star is that it is a comet of some sort, right? So a, a third part of the sea has been damaged by a great fireball, and now other waters, rivers and fountains and such, are like springs, they're being infected. They're being made bitter and undrinkable. How do I know they're being made un bitter? Well, verse 11 and the name of the star is called Wormwood. And the third part of the waters became Wormwood. And many died of the waters because they, had, because they were made bitter. Now, Wormwood is a plant, but it is always associated in the Bible with bitterness or, or great sadness. Okay, So again, during the seven-seal judgment, water will become bitter. And people will not want to drink it. If they do, they'll be drinking some very bitter water, right? So vegetation is being destroyed. The sea is being partially damaged. Rivers and springs are becoming bitter. Verse 12, And the fourth angel sounded, and the third part of the sun was smitten, and the third part of the moon, and the third part of the stars so as the third part of them was darkened and the day shone not for a third part of it and the night likewise. So darkness is falling upon the earth during this great judgment that's taking place. And I beheld, verse 13, I beheld and, and heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven saying with a loud voice, woe, Woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth by reason of the other voices of the trumpet of the three angels, which are, which are yet to sound. So if I paraphrase what this angel here says, it would be, you ain't seen nothing yet. You ain't seen nothing yet, okay? Because at the sounding of the next three trumpets, one third of the earth's population will be destroyed and will die over the next three trumpets that we're going to study. So look, again, we've seen the opening of the seals and all the details that the Lord allowed for the Apostle John to see thus far, that he wanted the Apostle John to write down that we as his servants could know this. Those seven seals parallel very, very closely with the, with the six seals that we looked at in chapter six. I, I tend to think that what we are seeing here in the seven trumpets are, are in a way just simply a further depiction of the same events of the six seals. 
I mentioned earlier that I think that the seven seals are simply an outline of the seven trumpets. The seven trumpets simply provide for us more, a more in-depth description of all that the first six seals talked about, right? And the seven trumpets are expounding on that more. At least that's how I read this. Again, I have no problem with being told that my thoughts on Revelation in the way I'm teaching it are wrong because I don't believe that I am the teacher. I believe that the Holy Spirit is the teacher. And I am nothing more than an imperfect disciple of Jesus Christ and an undeserving teacher of the Word of God. And I do what I do by faith, right? So as I often encourage you to do, study the Bible for yourself. I really don't believe that there's any man on the face of the earth that we should sit down in front of and listen to his teaching or any woman and listen to their teaching and take it as, oh, I don't need to research this myself. I don't need to dig deeper. I, I, I don't think there's anybody on the face of the earth worthy of that. So I know for sure I'm not worthy of that. Okay. So as we study this, I simply study it and, and read it very simplistically and and kind of give it to you in the way that I feel I have learned it as I, as I study it, okay? But I really encourage you to do the same thing. So just to recap, though, the things that we've looked at here in chapter 8, the prayers of the saints that were stored up in heaven have gone before the throne of God one last time. The bowl or the censer that contained the, the prayers had been thrown to the earth on fire, symbolizing that end of those prayers, okay? The end of that time. See, today we can still affect our government through prayer. We can still affect our daily lives through prayer, and we're supposed to do it. We're supposed to be Christians, right? Born-again Christians, disciples of Jesus more specifically, that are in the world and not of the world. But we can influence this world around us through prayer. We could take it a step further. In America, we have the right to vote. And we can say, hey, when these leaders come in, and if a leader comes in and he's not doing things in accordance with the Word of God, we have power in our vote to vote that person out, right? It's not like we're ever really going to find the perfect leader, though, right? But there, we have the power to change things, and prayer is still effective today. But the day will come when we, we won't, that those, those prayers won't be helping the earth anymore because it's judgment time, okay? And judgment has now begun with the opening of the seventh seal. The first trumpet reveals to us God's judgment on the sustenance of the earth, right? Like food and water are being, you know, affected by God's judgment here. And, if, and we've seen his judgment affect the, com the comfort of the people of the earth by darkness falling on a third of the earth, right? Can you imagine, right, a third part of the sun being darkened for a period of time every day or whatever it is? the warmth that we get from the sun, the, the things that grow from the sun, you know, it's going to be very uncomfortable. So comfort is being affected. Sustenance, food and water, and just human comfort is being affected in these judgments, right? Because you see, 
mankind really takes for granted the sun and the moon and the stars, okay? They give God no glory for these things of his creation and the blessing that they are to us, right? It's easy just to take the sun for granted. Well, it's going to be up tomorrow. It's going to be there all day today. Well, when this period of time comes, that's all shaken. And it isn't that easy anymore, okay? And once God's judgment begins to go forth and the sun is darkened, mankind will at that time understand his lordship over all the earth, his power to keep everything in motion, right? Look, for example, at how mankind reacts in a natural disaster or even just the loss of electricity, right? They all of a sudden become very humble and understand how unself-reliant they really are. So man's comfort zone will be taken away during this this period, this great judgment. But it is really the the mercy of God that he only allows for a third part of all of his creation to be affected. God's still showing mercy during this period of time, right? And man still has time to repent. But repentance is far easier today than it will be then. Turning to the Lord is far simpler today than it will be then. Remember, God is not willing that any should perish, right? He does not want anyone to be there during that time, the great tribulation. But the judgment has to come because, again, the earth has thumbed its nose. The people of the earth have thumbed its nose at God long enough, right? But that's why the time to repent and get right with God is now. And you and I, as the church of Jesus Christ on the earth today, it is our duty to spread the truth of the word of God, to shine the light of the gospel, to go out and to make disciples of Jesus Christ. You see, nothing's changed since Jesus gave that command when he left the earth, that that's what the church is here for. That's what we're here for. Unfortunately, the church has become a place of, socialization, a place of comfort, a place of parties and such like that, right? But that's not really not the the real reason for the body of Christ here on the earth today is to spread the gospel and to make disciples of Jesus Christ because this day that we're now studying about in Revelation is coming. It will come. It will happen, right? So we are to warn people to get right with God, to share with them that God has provided a way to escape this coming judgment. This judgment that will come upon the earth, there is a way to escape. And if we are people, like in Revelation we saw where Jesus promised the church that if we keep his command, we keep his word, he will keep us from the hour of that great tribulation. That's the way to escape. To come to Jesus, to study the word of God, to know the word of God, and to live the word of God out, to be a disciple. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, again, we thank you for this time that we get to study your word. Lord, it's such a brief time. Lord, it's such a a small portion of our time that we have for the rest of this week, Lord. So Lord, it can't just be this time, Lord. Our lives have to be full of worship all week, Lord, because you are worthy of all praise. You are worthy to receive all honor and glory and power. 
So Lord, as we go forth into this week, I pray that you will prick our hearts even more, Lord, that we would see that heaven and earth will pass away, but your word will never fail. That we would understand that that you are Lord of all and that we would make you the first priority of each and every day of our lives, Lord. That we would seek you in the morning, Lord, that we would study your word, that we would grow in the grace and in the knowledge of you. There is a lot at stake, Lord. As we see here in Revelation, the time of judgment will come upon this earth. But again, Lord, you have provided a way to escape, Lord. So again, Lord, prick our hearts that we would grow in the knowledge of you, that we would have a longing to know you more. But also, Lord, that we would have a desire to share the truth of your love and your grace and your mercy with others, Lord, that they might have the opportunity to repent. Lord, we all know family members and friends and acquaintances, Lord, that that don't know you, Lord. And right now, things go on and as normal and people go about their daily lives, but there's a time of shaking that is to come, Lord, a time when this earth will be judged, Lord. And, and let us, as your children, take this seriously, Lord. And let us take your word seriously. And let us live for your glory and your honor. Again, we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.